0: the markets. We just can't get enough of them.
1: Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy.
0: Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost.
1: I am Mohamed Nala of MoKnows.com.
0: Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.
1: Welcome to Magic Markets.
0: Welcome to episode eight of Magic Markets. I am your host, The Finance Ghost, joined as ever by Muhammad Nalla of Monos.com. I'm coming to you from the very cool Magic Market Studio, which can be found underneath the stairs in the corner of my living room where I'm currently in my pajamas because it is rather late at night. For those of you who have not listened to Magic Markets before, Mo is in Canada, and he's cooler and smarter and older than me, so he gets to dictate what time of day we do this, and it's a much better time for him than it is for me. No, I'm just kidding. Mo is very accommodating. In fact, he's even sitting in his car, so don't feel too sorry for me under the stairs. Hello, Mo. Welcome to episode eight of our little project.
1: Ghost, don't make me sound like a dictator, and... uh... Sitting in my car purely for acoustic reasons only.
0: <laughs> look, we know the dictators are in the US, not in Canada. So I would never want to give people that idea about you. So Moe in tonight's episode, today's episode for you, we're going to talk about something that has been on the radar for a lot of people for some years. Not so much for traditional finance guys, I think, like you and I, although it'll be interesting to hear your, your views on when you started to really look at this. But certainly something that has gained a lot of acceptance recently, and that is Bitcoin cryptocurrency, crypto assets, whatever your preferred name for it is. Of course, a whole lot of other coins as well that make up this kind of altcoin universe. It's all very interesting and it's definitely quite scary, but it cannot be ignored that institutional acceptance is starting to come through, whether it's big endowment funds or hedge funds or just highly respected fund managers in general who are buying into this stuff. It's hard to ignore it anymore. What are your views on the world of Bitcoin, crypto, blockchain? Have you been making TikTok videos about this? We need you to be honest.
1: <laughs> no TikTok videos yet. Um, don't want to join the finance pros, as I think you called them on yes. our last podcast. Uh, Bitcoin's interesting. I mean, I, I first started looking at at Bitcoin, kind of blockchain technology, call it three or four years ago. Uh, at the time, was really in its in its infancy, uh, and the fact of the matter is, back then, I just simply A, didn't understand it, uh, and B, probably wasn't as interested simply because, again, it wasn't mainstream. I was very much in the institutional space. And so the likelihood of crossing that threshold three or four years ago was quite low. Now, the interesting thing, Ghost, is that Bitcoin is probably one of, or let's call it crypto in general, it's probably one of the few trends that have migrated from widespread retail adoption into the institutional space usually it's the other way around if you look at many trends specifically in the investment universe it's kind of institutions that first get wind of it and then that filters through to retail and by the time retail gets to it you're generally seeing the trend is quite mature so this has flipped it on its head it's certainly very topical right now specifically because we had bitcoin pushing towards record highs of around forty thousand last week Uh, And then massive volatility, we saw it lose 10,000 within the span of a day and a half. Um, That's the nature of Bitcoin. We we can get into the nitty gritty about it. Now I've been talking about things like what is money. I wrote an article on my website, monos.com about just the concept of money, the abstraction of money, because I think that explains why there's this big push globally towards something that is non-sovereign and that is slightly independent and decentralized as a store of value. And we can get into some of those narratives uh, shortly. Uh, that being said, I think it certainly plays a role in the portfolio, but what role that plays and when you get in, that's something we're going to have to actually just scratch beneath the surface on.
0: Well, I want to touch on such a cool point you made there, which is how it's gone from retail adoption to insta adoption, because you're right, it's it used to be the other way around. Off the top of my head, I guess, social media is maybe part of the reason. It's that people now are actually a force unto themselves investing through apps like Robinhood Overseas, um, you know, which is more stocks. But at the end of the day, there's this whole investment community who are kind of finding each other and are able to, you know, what was that video I shared with you earlier today? Back the pump. or goodness knows what else horrors we've seen on TikTok. But (laughs) chokes aside, there's a lot of money out there. And a whole lot of retail investors investing a little bit each adds up into big market moves. I mean, I find it incredibly interesting the way Bitcoin and Tesla inevitably have these little crashes together. And I can't think of a single fundamental that they share. There's no reason why Tesla and Bitcoin should move together other than it's the same investors. And it's the same investors who get spooked on the same day, pump those shares up or pump Tesla shares up, pump Bitcoin up and then let it go down again. So it's just so interesting to see what's going on out there. How you know this this retail adoption is starting to drive institutions taking things more seriously. I think that's a really cool point.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think also, if you look at institutional participation, it's still only in its infancy. I mean, we, we haven't seen widespread adoption from pension funds. As you indicated, it's it's a couple of funds looking at it now. It's a couple of corporate treasuries, a couple of hedge funds. Uh, and as that builds, it certainly does build the case for 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 Bitcoin or crypto as an asset class. Uh, but I do concur with regards to some of the short-term volatility we've seen here. I mean, there's just so much of, of social media activity. Uh, I mean, someone actually, just over the course of the last week, was likening uh, Bitcoin to a religion, you know, because there's this founder who no one really knows who the founder was. And people, it's almost like this cult-like following. You're either a Bitcoin bull or you're a Bitcoin bear. And I don't, I don't think it's ever as simple as that. I think we've got to be a lot more nuanced. That's exactly why we're having this discussion today between ourselves and certainly for our listeners as well, because it's not cut and dried. There's, there's definitely something there which represents a, a, a valuable. Trend or shift in terms of how we see money, in terms of how we invest, but whether it's appropriate for everyone—that's for every individual investor to go and do their own homework, their due diligence, and see you know whether that makes sense or not.
0: No, well, before we get into some of the more complicated monetary theory, and there's so much we could talk about, and uh, as we know, we you know we're never going to get through all of it on this podcast. But another thought I've had that could well drive this price of Bitcoin going forward, etc., is I think a lot of the people who are becoming wealthy today are involved in the tech industry. That's definitely where the, all the millionaires are now being created. You know, it's certainly not happening in oil anymore. I don't think it's happening in investment banking. That's why I'm under the stairs and you're in your car. No, I'm kidding. And you know, it, it's happening in tech. And surely a lot of these newly minted millionaires are seeing Bitcoin as where they want to put their money and these other coins and these other rather esoteric asset classes and this very non-traditional stuff. But for as long as those people believe it has value, it has value doesn't it because that's what it is it's 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 the kind of thing where you have to believe in it and then it gets stronger and it has value do you think there's any mm-hmm. any truth to that thesis going forward
1: so so bear in mind it's the same as with any other money if you want to call it that or fiat currencies What gives it its value? It's our belief that it is worth what it is worth. Uh, And in this particular instance, I think that certainly does hold some appeal. I think there's a generational shift. There's certainly a lot more millennials coming through with substantial wealth. And also as wealth transitions down to a younger generation through inheritance, through this tech uh, uh, if you want to call it tech revolution that has created new millionaires as well. I think all of those factors come into play and certainly also increases the appeal of something like a digital asset, like Bitcoin or any of these other crypto assets simply because, again, someone's described this as Bitcoin is the internet of money. It's a digital asset. Now, the, the important thing for me, and we haven't even got into this yet, is what's unique with Bitcoin is that it, they've created digital scarcity. There's only going to be 20 one million bitcoin that i ever mined or created over its life cycle and i think that creation of digital scarcity in and of itself even if you assume uniform or static demand the law of supply and demand means that even if demand stays you know where it is right now the, the creation the in in the design in the architecture of bitcoin will play itself towards an intrinsic value that would increase up until the point in time when, you know, effectively, because supply is constrained at a finite amount effectively, uh, that means that the value underlying that uh, will increase then in line with, uh, you know, its, its use and its demand from the investor base, from a transactional perspective. And again, we can say whether Bitcoin's appropriate for transactional purposes or not, but that digital scarcity is one of the defining characteristics that certainly make Bitcoin specifically quite appealing.
0: Yeah, it talks to that store of value argument, and I guess one of the challenges Bitcoin faces is the volatility, because it's quite frightening to, you know, go and put your bonus into something that could fall thirty percent tomorrow. But whether or not that volatility calms down over time is is kind of anyone's guess. Maybe that market starts to mature, um, you know, maybe it doesn't. There's a lot of whales just sitting on huge numbers of Bitcoin, um, including the mysterious founder himself. And uh, you know, let's touch on the transactional nature of it. So. From everything I've read recently, and it's quite instructive that the likes of the CFA Institute is commissioning research into cryptocurrency, I mean that already tells you that clearly there is a lot of interest among your sort of traditional finance people in this space. And it's really interesting to read about how you know Bitcoin seems to be pretty good for sending large amounts of money in one shot at potentially a much lower cost than if you try and do it through a bank, but it's not something you're going to use to buy coffee at work tomorrow. And, you know, that kind of goes to this cryptocurrency point, which I think always threw me off. I always looked at this and thought, I don't really see why or how this thing is going to easily replace, you know, the so-called fiat currency. Um, but is it a way to store value and potentially send really big amounts and 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 look more like digital gold? Maybe. I think that's the way I'm looking at it now is maybe it has some value along those lines, but not really from a transactional perspective for me. I think blockchain is super interesting, but it's hard to distinguish the tech from the coin. And a lot of people aren't doing that. They're buying Bitcoin because they just believe in blockchain. But if you buy Bitcoin, you don't actually own anything blockchain related. You're not buying (laughs) blockchain tech. You're not buying this great company that's involved in blockchain, are you?
1: Yeah, so I think you've made two very important distinctions. One is, you know, the the blockchain versus the the actual currency or the token or whatever you wanna call it. And Bitcoin in this instance that we're talking about is the the currency, but the blockchain is the thing behind it that goes into the validation process. And I'm not gonna get into the technicalities around that. The the other important distinction that you made, Ghost, is that, you know, we've gotta be very clear around what role does Bitcoin play. I think its original intent was certainly orientated as a currency, you know, as, as effectively a medium of exchange. Uh, and I think it's become a trading tool, one. And B, I think the simple fact of, 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 of the matter is Bitcoin takes relatively long to settle. So for example, your large credit card providers, MasterCard Visa can process something insane. Like I, I think it's a couple of hundred thousand transactions a second. A Bitcoin transaction will take around 10 minutes to clear. So I think, you know, that goes hand in hand with the fact that it needs to be made quite secure. And in order to make it secure and decentralized, it's gotta be slow. Uh, Visa, MasterCard on the other hand are secure, but centralized uh, as as the trade-off. I'm just trying to illustrate the, those trade-offs for, for the listeners. And so if you wanna use Bitcoin as a transactional tool, as a medium of exchange, it's probably appropriate for larger scale transactions. Uh, and for example, there it would clear a lot faster than for example, a Swift, transfer between international banks. Is it a store of value? Do we see uh, altcoins, other coins, uh, coins like a, a Tether, and we'll get into some controversy around Tether, whether they've been pumping up the Bitcoin price or not, uh, as a more transactional type of currency that da- is maybe not as secure? That's where I think this goes. I think you have like a super currency called Bitcoin that maybe is, is the reserve currency or crypto asset, if you want to call it that. And then underlying that, there are a number of other contenders. There's Ethereum, for example, which is a little bit Faster. There's also, I mean, Facebook launched something called Libra, which was then rebranded as DM. And they're trying to effectively look at that as a, as a digital currency, something that's maybe a little bit more centralized, but more transactional in nature. So bearing in mind, those are your trade-offs. If you want to be transactional, you've got to be fast. But if you want to be fast, you may not be as secure if you're decentralized. And those are the three pillars that I think you'd need to look at uh, on any kind of digital currency or crypto asset.
0: Well, you've touched on another great point there, which is some a company like Facebook issuing a coin. So we've gotten to the point where a social media platform starts to look and smell like a central bank, offers you a marketplace, helps you clear these transactions long term. It's just incredible to see how the world continues to just change and change. I'm very bullish on the world of esports and gaming, as anyone who's read The Finance Ghost regularly will know. And I continue to be bullish on that because again, I think gaming for a lot of people creates this Somewhat alternative world. And I'm not actually much of a gamer myself at all, but I can see the power of it. And within that world, there's no reason why they would not also potentially have this, you know, decentralized currency that allows players to trade with each other, actually send money through a game to each other, completely bypassing all of the normal banking systems. And obviously, regulators get utterly frightened when they hear this kind of thing you know the 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 tax authorities obviously want to get their piece of the pie and for anyone listening who thinks that it's a way to dodge tax firstly that is just illegal tax evasion is literally illegal and secondly any profits you make on crypto are taxed like anything else so you need to declare it honestly you know the onus is on you to be honest here and if you've done a bit of e-filing recently there are about three or four questions where SARS specifically asks you if you've done any cryptocurrency transactions, so they know what's going on out there, and you know, Mo, this is where the regulators are getting getting worried, aren't they? When Facebook starts issuing coins, that's just kind of frightening for a central bank.
1: Yeah, I mean, realize, Ghost, that that sovereigns, uh, so that, those are governments that issue fiat currencies today. Sovereigns and central banks around the world will be loath to give up their control over effectively money supply. They'll be loath to give up that kind of control over general economic activity. So I think that's probably one of your largest risks to Bitcoin, specifically maybe cryptocurrencies as a whole would be, you know, regulatory uh, burdens that will certainly come through. I I saw some comments that we discussed just before the show uh, from Christine Lagarde uh, at the ECB saying that, you know, we need to regulate Bitcoin. And I think also some of the pushback that's coming here is, is legit. Legitimate in that, you know, Bitcoin, because of a lot of the anonymity behind it, uh, has potentially been used in some nefarious activities like money laundering and so forth. So at the end of the day, if governments can control effectively the entry point and the exit point from any particular network, that's how they're gonna get their fingers uh, on 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 the pie. Uh, that said, you know, I, I don't think we're that far away from seeing a world where, and already, you know, central banks are already discussing launching digital currencies of their own. Uh, the ECB themselves say that they may be around three to four years away from that. Uh, I know the Saab in South Africa, for example, has also been looking into this crypto space. So I think that it's equally plausible that Global central banks will probably look at creating digital versions of their currency. The big question mark again, is the benefit of a Bitcoin, for example, is that like I said, supply is finite. It's not up to some sort of government who decides, oh, we wanna print dollars, we're gonna go ahead and print dollars. And I think that distrust that has certainly fomented in in, in the psyches of many people uh, globally, uh, around central banks, around governments that have effectively just been printing money over the course of the last five decades is why something like Bitcoin even exists, is that it's independent, it's non-sovereign it's decentralized so the likelihood of it being meddled with from that perspective is low and bear in mind that that's exactly the reason why i guess regulators will also want to try and 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 just get some sort of a handle on this thing
0: so investing in this space and wearing my investor hat you know i look at all of this and i think about blockchain and i look at these coins and i completely understand why someone might have a punt at, at bitcoin and especially the more volatile coins maybe you know that that really does start to become like gambling down the bottom end. I personally in my portfolio have quite a strong slant towards these tech companies, not just the big ones, not just the fan companies, but a lot of the up and comings as well. There's some really cool ETFs you can buy. There's some really cool funds you can buy to actually get in on the action down there. Because my thesis is that whatever form blockchain is eventually going to take, it's going to be properly utilized by those tech companies, by the platforms, by the big businesses, the social media players, the gaming companies, they are going to find a cool way to use blockchain, I think. And so I think the closest I can get to investing in it, in something I trust that has real cash flows, is properly regulated, and doesn't dip 30% in a day, is to be fairly well diversified among big tech companies. Are you buying Bitcoin at this stage, Mo, Or <laughs> what's happening in the... <laughs> you know, I know you're a big gold bug, so it would be a departure for you of note.
1: Yeah, Ghost, I mean listeners and and followers on my website, monos.com will know that I've liked gold for some time. I have a a reasonably sizable allocation to alternative assets, if you want to call it that in in my portfolio. Uh, And in that context, I I think there's a role for Bitcoin or crypto assets to play. Uh, That being said, uh, the volatility certainly at, at current levels and what we've seen over the course of the last two months does not suit my risk appetite. So, you know, when you can lose 30% of the value of a particular holding over a two-day period, that's exceptionally volatile. Uh, Yes, you can look at the long-term volatility on Bitcoin, it has actually been decreasing, but it's still higher than pretty much every other mainstream investable asset class. So, you know, on on a longer term basis, do I believe in crypto assets, in Bitcoin in particular? Uh, Probably yes. Would I be jumping in at any particular level and certainly at these levels? uh, Probably no. Uh, Maybe a a more prudent approach would be to kind of run cost average into this thing. Uh, And for for those that are out there trading, and again, you know, we have investors, we generally talk about investment on the show, but there are traders out there. And for traders, you know, we've had this massive volatility, but on a very short term, basis. Bitcoin's kind of formed a symmetrical wedge. It looks like it wants to break out of that. And if it does, it's really likely to go and try and test that 40,000 level uh, again. Uh, longer term, where can it go if it becomes more mainstream, if regulators don't get involved? There are a number of, of, of valuation metrics or models that people tout out there, and the numbers are, are all over the show. You can say Bitcoin's worth $100,000. You can say it's worth $600,000. that really depends on, on what model you use. And like any other asset or currency, how you value it will be very much determined by what your own model, what your own thinking and ideology around the world is.
0: Mo, that's about all we have time for. We've literally just scratched the surface of crypto. And it's an exciting topic and it's something we'll come back to on Magic Markets for sure. And we would love to hear from our listeners what you think and whether or not you'd like us to do more of these kind of crypto discussions. You know, it's very topical at the moment. And I think it's interesting to look at it through a traditional finance lens. So Mo, until next week when uh, I meet you under the stairs and you're in your car very far away, thank you very much for another episode of Magic Markets.
1: Thanks, Ghost. Thanks to our listeners. Remember to subscribe on the platform of your choice and give us a great rating.
0: Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.